Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold said so. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Woods with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Back from COVID protocols and all kinds of fun stuff last week. Uh, that's why we didn't have a Longhorn Blitz podcast last week. Thanks to Matt and Rod for holding it down the week before while I was in New York. Rod not here today, so we do not have our lockdown corner. He is a lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and he with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. We'll be back next week, and we'll get more into our format for the next few weeks But uh, until we get back to a normal recording schedule. But before I bring in the other member of the team who is here with me, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for being a part of Longhorn Blitz. Ready to close down our 10th year doing the Blitz. Started in 2012, about to close out 2022 and head into 2023. We would not be around this long, going strong, if it was not for you, the listener. So thank you for your support. If you are a subscriber, thank you very much. If not, search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Anywhere each podcast, click that follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And get over to Horns 24-7, the latest and greatest in Longhorn team news, notes, and nuggets, the best recruiting coverage in the Texas market with Mike Roach and Hudson Standish is all there for you at Horns 24-7. All right, let me bring in the one member of the team who is here with me today. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How how are you feeling? I'm about eh, 75-80% right nice. now. I went to New York and came back and was losing my voice, and turns out I, I had the Rona. So down for down for a few days, but I'm good. Back in the saddle now as we move on, get ready for the Alamo Bowl. We'll talk a little bit of Alamo Bowl because I know Matt was crunching numbers before we got in here. But real quick, uh, so two weeks ago it was Matt and Rod by themselves without me. No podcast last week, and this week it's myself and Matt, no Rod. Uh, We are tentatively planning on December 30th, the day after the Alamo Bowl, to have a Longhorn Blitz at that time, a quick bowl recap, and then the following week on January 3rd, that podcast, we plan on being back to a normal recording schedule. So, it's just the holidays, we're trying to make do with what we got. I got sick. That didn't help matters any, but we move on. Nonetheless. That happened to me a couple months ago. Corona. It's like literally in the past two months, coronavirus has caused us to miss more shows than we've missed in literally nine and a half years leading up to it. Yeah. So, Matt, let's talk about the bowl opt-outs. As of right now, we know DeMarvin Overshone's opted out of the bowl. His Texas career has come to an end. B. John Robinson opted out of the bowl game on Monday. He's also declared for the 2023 NFL Draft. That was a surprise to you. That's a you problem at this point. Shouldn't have been a surprise to see Bijan declare for the draft. So, Matt, let's start with DeMarvin Overshone. And he's he's got an interesting career path at Texas. Came to Texas as a five-star safety prospect. Remember, we, he got involved in, in, in that joker role in Todd Orlando's defense and then was a big part of that Cowboy package in 2019. Uh, but once he was able to do two things, one, be healthy enough to go through a full offseason, and two, really soak in the nuances of playing the linebacker position with the same coordinator and position coach from two consecutive years. Uh, we really saw him play some of his best football consistently. And I won't even say maybe his flashiest football, Matt, but probably his most consistent football. 
Yeah, for sure. He played at Texas in 22. And if you look at just this past year, I brought up some of the stats uh, two weeks ago when Rod and I did the show, but it's pretty crazy to think of his progression, not only from, like you said, safety down to linebacker and then the changing roles, but then the emergence of a guy like Jalen Ford sort of then unlocked Overshone to be able to be put into more of a natural position. And he finished in the Big 12 second in pass rush productivity, which is insane to think of a guy that go from being what was a five-star safety to then being the second-best pass rusher in the Big 12. When you look at players with at least 80 pass rush snaps, he was only behind D. Winters, who had a 14.8% pass rush productivity, which is just pressures created on a per-snap basis, and they weight sacks higher. Overshone was at 12.5%, and that – would have ranked 31st nationally when you include all schools and all players, but to be second in the Big 12 and yeah. one of the Power Five conferences at that position, it just it's sort of weird. You wouldn't think about it, but he's almost like the poor man's version of Micah Parsons with this Texas defense when he was in that role. But he could also be then you know used other ways and moved yeah. around to be able to fit. And when you can be a multi-purpose player, it really can add value to you. We already talked about how the D line was really one that could platoon well and different guys could fit together well and then when you allow Ford to be put into a position where he's so successful it really you could see why the front seven was so good at Texas yeah and and I'll piggyback on that if you go back to 2017 what Gary Johnson did for Malik Mm -hmm. Jefferson it's kind of the same deal right like Gary Johnson uh they just used his speed and he you know if you go back and watch yeah go back and watch some of that tape I mean there were times Gary Johnson because he was so physical between the tackles man he he could be you're middle linebacker, and you can move Malik around a little bit more and do some different things with him, which Todd Orlando did in that 17 season. So, yeah, that's a good point, man. Like I said, you know, we've seen this before when the Texas defense has been really good. Uh, we've seen it kind of be two inside linebackers playing at a high level. You go back to Keenan Robinson and Emmanuel Acho in 2011. Uh, we saw it in 2014 with Jordan Hicks and Steve Edmond. Uh, Steve Edmond was a veteran guy and, and played a lot of football. And then we talked, obviously, 17 with uh, with what we saw from Malik Jefferson and Gary Johnson playing together. And then this year with Overshone and Jalen Ford. I mean, Jalen Ford, I know we've talked about it a lot. We we beat the horse to death. But Jalen Ford probably should have been, in my opinion, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. He, yeah. He played good. And he played well enough to get himself in that conversation and make a very convincing argument to be that guy, uh, which I think kind of – I think that over over uh, overshadowed what Overshone did in 22. Like I said, not that not that Demo was bad. It's just Jalen Ford was just that good. And like I said, I think where Overshone got to, Rod's talked about it all the time. Eventually, as you get older, if you're on the right trajectory, eventually your baseline increases. I guess that's just all we saw from Demo. That baseline increased, and, and you got what you got. Just a good good steady hand at that position for 12 games. Yeah, Rod and I beat that home all last show talking about Jalen Ford basically getting hosed out of being yeah. the Big 12 Player of the Year. And, you know, he was the guy that when you look at the Texas players, he had all the counting stats because he was in that position. But it was like even nationally or across the Big 12, when you look at his run stop percentage being at 13%, and that's in 301 run defense snaps, by far first in the Big 12 and third nationally of players with 300 or more rush defense snaps, only behind Tommy Eckenberg of Ohio State at 15 15.4, which is crazy, and then James Patterson of Buffalo. So when you're on that level, just plugging holes, doing what you're supposed to do, and then you're the best coverage linebacker right. yeah. in the conference in this modern era, and that's why when we talk about these type of linebackers and you see you can have Ford and Overshone be able to do what they did and not only be your traditional linebacker but get pass rush productivity yeah. and coverage productivity, like you couldn't ask literally for more from linebackers. It's a modern-day off-ball linebacker. We talked about how tough that position is to play, but those guys did it. I'll say this too, Matt, on, on the award stuff. Not not even so much the Big 12 because that, the coaches voted on that. So, that you know, if you got a beef, take it up with the Big 12 I was calling coaches. the Eric Berry factor. Coming into the season, nobody knew who Jalen yeah. Ford was, and your preseason and, guy won it. And I think, I think too, with the All-American stuff, like he was only on one All-American team, at least of the five NCAA-recognized yeah. teams. He was a third-team third team AP guy. I can speak to this talking to some people that are involved. I mean, I'm a member of the Football Writers Association. It's not like it's prestigious or anything. I just pay mm-hmm. my dues every year. So it's what it is. I get to vote on some different awards. Somehow they give me a vote, Matt, for the Maxwell Award. Oh, nice. And 
like I don't know how I got to vote for the Max Award. I think whatever is the Charlotte Touchdown Club. What is it? The uh, is the Beneric Award? Maybe. Oh yeah, I don't know yeah. who runs which ones, but I know of the Beneric. I know I've got to vote for like the Nagurski Award and the Allen Trophy, the ones the the uh, the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year, the ones the Football Writers Association mm-hmm. does. But yeah, I think. I've I've gotten votes for the Ray Guy Award before. I've liked so where just, the Maxwells went, like the ability, because like we we sort of also harped on the Heisman and sending four quarterbacks and how absurd yeah. it was. And if you look back at the list of players that have won the Maxwell, you could almost be like, that seems like the most accurate award these days. Well, that's why that's why Colts got his number retired. True, yeah. Won the Maxwell Award, it's a National Player of the Year award. Yeah. But I can tell you this, like from the football writer's perspective, talking to some people that are involved, like in the actual selection process, like I just submit a ballot. Yeah. They go through the selection process. Those things are really heavily weighted, not towards SEC guys. Mm-hmm. They're pretty heavily weighted towards Big Ten guys because apparently there are a lot of guys and a lot of writers in Big Ten country. Don't mean to discriminate. A lot of writers in Big Ten country uh, that have pretty loud voices. Like I heard, believe it or not, and it, it factors into it because he was a unanimous All American. I heard it was a dogfight for B. John Robinson to get a first-team spot on the football writer's team. Wow, because Corum probably Like Corum and Chase Brown. Yeah, yeah. And Chase Brown did have a really good year, but, yeah, that would be absurd for them to get it over Bijan when you look at Bijan's work. But, yeah, all those awards, have, uh, they're sort of outdated on just this, the system in which yeah. you expect these people to vote, like watch all these. It's, in, it's illogical to think that everybody can watch everything and vote when you have 900 different votes, like the way yeah. Heisman just has it spread out so thin and so many people but either way it's good to at least see some recognition going to the Longhorns for sure like I can tell you too on the uh, like the football writers on the All-American team when I submit my ballot I've put guys on there that either I try to go Texas guys big 12 guys or guys that I saw at non-conference yeah that really surprised me those are kind of the first and then whatever's left over just guys that I know watching games when I can throughout the year about a bigger like there's no question like for wide receivers like I'd have been an idiot if I didn't put Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee yeah as one of my wide receivers exactly because yeah. yeah like some guys just stand out so much that you got to have yeah them up. but like for for defensive line like to me if if Jalen Ford wasn't the Big Twelve Player of the Year Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year like my vote if I had one I'd have voted Tyree Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech yeah because every time I saw Tech play <laughs> he was making big plays yeah and consider his numbers he did that in ten games he missed the last two games. Yeah, no, that's injury. a big thing, too. But you're paying close attention to such things. Yeah. So that's just a little uh, inside baseball stuff on the awards selection process and how that goes down. I don't have much to offer there, but I offer whatever I can when it's appropriate. Let's talk about Bijan. Matt, uh, where would you where would you rank him? Like we, I wrote a column at Horns 24-7, basically echoing what you just said. It's really hard when you're a five-star, when you're billed as a five-star prospect, you're the number one running back prospect in the country, mm-hmm. but you're also billed as a five-star person yeah. coming to Texas. It's hard to reach those expectations, and he exceeded them. And I'll say this, I'll get this out of the way, because I got some feedback from this on Twitter. Well, you know, he didn't win the Heisman, he didn't win a championship. Look, those that type stuff, that's no fault of Bijan's. Yeah, that's a team That's fault. on Tom Herman and or Steve Sarkeesian not getting him the ball enough. Yeah. To put him in a position to win some of those. And then a lot of the times, like Ricky was an outlier. Normally you have to be on a team that's contending for championships. Even if you are, there's so many times when the best player in college football isn't the Heisman winner because he wasn't the best representative from one of the top five teams. And it's, I mean, for Bijan this year, you could put up video game numbers as much as you wanted. I don't think he was going to win the Heisman. Even if he went and put up over 2,000 yards and had 500 rushing or receiving but yeah when you look at his career like I told you before the show like in my lifetime there have been a handful of people like you think of the December 30th guys LeBron and Tiger were ones that had absurd expectations that you could say lived up to or maybe exceeded them and then a guy like Bijan coming into Texas which is like one of the few RBU type places and like you hear the accolades and you see his absurd numbers in Arizona and then what his goals are. And there really isn't another player I can remember coming to Texas and being able to live up to or exceed the expectations. You made a good point of Vince. He was yeah. one that could exceed it by the end of his career. But it seemed like even Bijan had an, a linear path that it just continually got better and better to where he actually exceeded everything. And I expected a lot, and he was better than I could have ever expected. I'll give you another running back who did it as I'm thinking about it at Texas. Cedric Benson had a similar yep. trajectory. 
Yep, he did. His, his Cedric's improvement was linear. Yeah, it he was. better every year he was in Texas. All the way across the board. And, and he was also, I mean, he's a great example right there. He did that, was on teams that were, you know, winning teams and still never truly got a chance at winning a Heisman. Uh, but the way that, fact, if you give me just a sec, I got this pulled up. I've got to figure out what tab I had it on. Cedric Benson in the Heisman. He finished sixth in the Heisman voting in 2004. Yeah, exactly. And he had one hell of a year all the way across the board. That would have been, I believe it was the two USC guys, Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, the mm-hmm. two Oklahoma guys, Jason White, Adrian Peterson, and then I think Alex Smith would have been your Yep, that makes sense. New York that year. I could pull that up. Just a second. Yes, Matt Leinart, Adrian Peterson, Jason White, Alex Smith, Reggie Bush was fifth, and then Cedric Benson was sixth. Quite fitting. And if you look at Bijan just across, I mean, just the fact that I remember as a kid having, like, the T-shirt that had all the records that Ricky Williams broke, and there were, like, 18 major records across the board. And I remember looking at 6.2 yards per rush and being like, no one's going to ever be able to do that at Texas anymore. Like, that was so huge of a number to think of. For your entire career. Now, in one season, Bijan got a good head start that freshman year when he set a single-season record for more than 80 rushes when you look at him and even amongst running backs. But then to be able to go your entire career and average 6.3 and break Ricky's record, that's just unbelievable to where, like, now I don't think anybody's going to break Bijan's record. But it's truly remarkable to think about that because, you know, one guy that we always talked about and probably for his time at Texas is underrated for how good he was, was Jamal Charles, who when yeah. you look at NFL numbers and you look at yards per rush for NFL running backs with at least 750 carries, Jamal Charles was number one in the history of the NFL. Mm-hmm. So now you look at that and think of, well, we have a guy, Ricky, had the record. Jamal had this NFL record, and somehow Bijan can come in to Texas and break Ricky's record. Now we'll see what he can do, but I wouldn't be surprised if he plays a similar type C, uh, modern running back's career in the NFL. For sure, yeah. He could be right there with Jamal and average well over five per carry in the NFL. If you think about Bijan, and this gets into the conversation of kind of where he stacks up, where you'd put him all time in terms of running backs. He's got, in terms of yards per carry, Matt, he's got the big three. Yeah. Single game, mm-hmm. single season, career. Yeah, that's yards amazing. Yards per carry, he's the school leader in all those categories. That's amazing to be able to own that. That's almost like a triple crown for a running back. He's got back. the triple car- the triple crown yards per carry. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think about it like that, but yeah, but he does. It is. It's a career triple crown for yards per carry, and you couldn't ask for more for a running back, not to mention he's maybe the best receiving running back. Texas, actually, I'll go, it's not even going out of limb. He's by far the best receiving running back, I'd say, to average this year at 13.4 yards per reception, I believe. Maybe that's his I, w- I would number. put Eric Metcalf over B.J. Because Eric Metcalf's got multiple. I think Eric Metcalf has multiple 40 catch season the Texas. True, volume right. was there. So that's one to where I don't want to re- disrespect Metcalf as a young kid. Dude, I looked at er- Eric Metcalf as like, he was uh, almost like this unicorn figure. Man, it Eric was like, Metcalf. how could Texas have a guy like this not be insanely successful and then be a guy even in the pros that was so just ahead of his time? I, I was too young to remember Eric Metcalf's Texas career, mm-hmm. but watching him in the NFL and, and thinking about it now, that dude was like 25, 30 years ahead of his time. Yeah, he was, 100%. Like, if Eric Metcalf played in today's NFL, dude, he'd be an all-pro. Yeah. Like whatever Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, whatever these guys are, dude, that would be Eric Metcalf. 100%. And when you look at half of those guys, like, he's the one probably most like Kamara if you were to compare him to anybody. And that's why what well, makes Bijan so crazy because there isn't an NFL comparison to Bijan. People, you know, some people have used Kamara in the past, yeah. but, like, Bijan's combo of size, speed, agility, and then pass catching ability, and then potential for power because he's going to be a guy that a lot of guys in the NFL are going to oh, think, oh, yeah, he's going to make moves and be a, not a guy that's going to run me over. He will run you over. And that's the thing, like, Eric Metcalf ran with a ton of power even yeah. back in the day, too. I'll, I'll give you my best comp for, for Bijan, LaDainian Tomlinson. Yeah, a bigger LaDainian Tomlinson, yeah. a much bigger LT one. LT was, what, 5'9", five, 5'10"? Yeah, and not 220, nowhere near that by the end of it. Like, when he came out of TCU, I bet he was 205 soaking wet. I may have just sold wet. Tomlinson short, but let me, let me pull up LT. What he no, was. you're right about Ladanian's skill set. It just he's a couple, seems like a couple inches taller and a couple uh, 10, 15 pounds LT bigger. He was built at 5'10", 215. 215, yeah. There you go. Well, 
We'll see how Bijan fills out because Bijan seems like the type of body that he's going to be a six foot two thirty type guy that can move and be quicker than anybody else on the field. You forget about like he has an Allen Iverson crossover when he cuts back, but it's on a football field. Like, and that's where I think Bijan's going to blow up in the league is as a as a pass receiver. Oh yeah, but you look at LT. You realize this as a running back. LT caught a hundred balls in two thousand three. A running back. A running back caught a hundred balls. Yeah, that was the beginning of, like, when you see what Drew Brees, and it's funny to think of with the comparisons, we talk about a guy like Kamara, and who did he end his career with? Ended his career with Drew Brees, but then you have Phillip Rivers just always knowing he had that security blanket underneath to dump it down to, and you look at Ladanian, yeah, his career path is, you could hope that Bijan would finish with him, but those seasons, if you thought were in fantasy football from like 04 or 05 to 06, 07, when he was breaking Emmett's touchdown records yeah. and then putting up those passing numbers, if you were to look at a bar to set for Bijan's prime, is like LT's ceiling. prime. His ceiling is prime with Danny and Tomlinson. Yeah. I feel comfortable saying that. Like, man, think about LT. So his first eight, LT's first eight years in the league, and I don't mean to go down an NFL rabbit hole, but I think this is worth it because I think this is where Bijan's ceiling is. LT's first eight years in the league, and the game has changed, but he goes for a thousand yards each of those seasons. And I mean, he's got a, a 16 back to back 1600 yard seasons, a 1400 yard season, 2006 when he was the MVP, 1800 yards, 1400 yards. But here's his receptions, Matt, in those first eight years 59, 79, 153, 61, 56, 60, 52. There's like Pro Bowl caliber receivers that don't catch 60 balls in a year. Yeah, it's on a level. Because I remember whenever it was what Larry Sinners had like their record back yeah. in the day, but he was only. That's all like, he did. That's all yeah. he did. And then you could get Ladanian to be, he was Emmett as a running back, putting up this many touchdowns and then breaking Larry Sinners' receiving records. Yeah. That was absurd. So I, that's where, where I think Bijan is. But it, it, when we look at Bijan, just in again, I'm, I want to go back real quick to my column that I wrote on the site talking about the expectations. It's a great I, column. Everybody needs to go read it. I appreciate that, man. I went back and pulled some quotes from my first interview with Bijan and kind of just how weird it is to think about what he, how he viewed expectations and kind of the mark he wanted to leave. And, and he did it just by being everything he was billed to be and then some. That's kind of the point of the column. But – when you think about where I, – I don't know where you are on this, Matt, but I – Craig and I talked about this on the show. By the way, Light the Tower each and every weekday, 10 to noon on the horn. Um, Craig and I talked about it, and I said, look, to me, if I'm ranking the running backs at Texas, to me, the, at the top, it, there's, there's two tiers. Tier one, Ricky and Earl are on a, are on a tier by themselves. Mm-hmm. And if you want to argue for one over the other, whatever, that's a debate that we can have till the end of time. I'm one generation of Texas fans will pick Ricky. The other one will pick Earl just because of the eye test. But I think on that second tier, there's three guys for three very different reasons that are on that second tier. And I love Deontay Foreman. We're hashtag team Foreman on the show. Jamal Charles had some special times at Texas. Roosevelt Leaks, my dad's all-time favorite Texas Longhorn. But to me, the three guys on that second tier are Bijan Robinson, Chris Gilbert, and Cedric Benson. No matter how you want to rank them three through five, mm-hmm. to me those are the guys, and they each they each bring something different to the table. Like Chris Gilbert, I believe was the first player in FBS history to rush for a thousand yards in three straight seasons. Plus, he was on the on the uh, at the beginning when they first he helped get the wishbone off the ground at Texas. So, from a statistical from of the perspective of statistical importance mm-hmm. and historic importance. Chris Gilbert's got to be in there. Yeah, and he was in an era where you didn't play as freshman. So yeah. like, to have three thousand-yard seasons in a row was almost nearly impossible to do unless you did it every year. Which is why Cedric Benson's in there for me because he had four straight thousand-yard seasons, mm-hmm. won the Doak Walker Award, had an eighteen hundred-yard season. We talked about that linear trajectory and living up to expectations. Man, he yeah. met or exceeded all expectations. Dude, people forget. It man, was if absurd. you weren't if you weren't a football conscious at that point. When Cedric Benson was coming out of Midland Lee, it was like I remember watching on TV, watching his debut against New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. It was one of those, you know, Texas blowing out New Mexico State in the fourth quarter. That stadium came alive 
when Cedric Benson got into the game and got his first touchdown. Yeah. Like it was it was as loud at that point in the fourth quarter of a blowout as it was at kickoff. And it was unfair to Benson the expectations that were set because it was almost as if because I remember it, he's a year older than you and I, so we yep. were just uh, following him and like the folklore of him in high school when he was committed, he was oh, in the class because first there was Sims, then it was the Roy B.J. Sloan, and then it was said B. And I'm not lying, the expectations it seemed as if if he wasn't as good as Ricky Williams, he he was going to be a failure almost yeah. to some people, which is just crazy. But then for the idea, so if you're not as good as maybe the greatest running back in college football history. Yes. Then you're you're a failure. And then since then, when we've learned how much you know, like say uh, a running back from Texas, the amount of hits and carries that when you look at what he did, just the amount of times he carried the ball in high school to then come to Texas and to be able to do that volume for four years and to consistently get so much better, and it was it was pretty crazy. I remember being at. The Colorado game, his freshman year, when he finally was unleashed, like Mac, Mac was basically the last time Mac ever fell for the old guards. You know, freshmen don't, you can't get them in big games early on. Like yeah. he didn't play him enough. Mac admitted that, and Mac knew that he wished he had played him more in that Oklahoma game that season. But right after that, it tore open, and he. I remember being there in the end zone watching him run against Colorado that game and just being like, this dude's the best player on the field, and he's a true freshman. And from that point on, it was like you could just pencil him in for 100. He'd be able to go. And then just the idea that Greg Davis saw the vision for him and Vince and really to be the first true zone read offense deployed for the public to see, yeah. it just grew from there. And then, I mean, you look at Cedric Benson's pro career, not that this matters for where you would rank him at Texas, but I think people forget, like, he gets drafted by the Bears Mm -hmm. and kind of just flames out in Chicago. But, man, he gets reborn with Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati, has three straight 1,000-yard seasons for the Bengals. Uh, Four years in Cincinnati, Matt, he plays 56 games, starts 54 of them. And that was the thing, like, in Cincinnati, he was just healthier than he was in Chicago, uh, 4,176 yards and 21 touchdowns. In his time with the Bengals, caught uh, caught eighty balls in his career with the Bengals. He was kind of an underrated receiver too when he was at Texas. But Cedric has it, and, and this and in Chicago, like if you heard from the coaches, all and players, all of them loved him. It was just that him and Thomas Jones at the same time were right. two good backs. So his numbers were never going to be. It was actually a very ahead of its time platooning backfield. Right. I mean, had Cedric been the 23rd pick in the draft yeah. instead of the fourth, mm-hmm. then you're or, and the, was it or fourth post or fifth? Ricky. Yeah, you're probably and, and he wasn't on the heels of Ricky, which is interesting though because somebody mentioned this again on, on Light the Tower. They texted in on the show and they said, Well, if you have to separate pro Ricky from college Ricky, he said, You know, even the stuff that Ricky dealt with in the pros, there's only 31 guys in the history of the National Football yeah. League that have rushed for 10,000 or more yards in a career, and he's one of them. Yeah. And then throw in what he did in the receiving game, his total yards as a running back. And you combine those two, it's even more elite of a group. But, yeah, I mean, Ricky had almost an NFL pro Hall of Fame career, and that's with him taking the time out to find <laughs> himself in between. And then coming back out of nowhere, and, like, you look at that Miami, those some of those Miami seasons, to be at oh, his age man. doing what he did, it was pretty crazy with him and Ronnie Brown. And, I mean, they literally just unleashed. That was the beginning of the Wildcat and things along those lines. You talk to the people down in Miami, and Ricky is just beloved. It's just sort of a bummer what happened initially in Miami. They just Wanstead ran him into the ground after they yeah, traded yeah, for him. No, let- no running back in the history <laughs> of the NFL had more than 370 carries in back-to-back seasons. He had 700 and what 55 carries. He led in the back-to-back. league. He led the league in 02 and 03. He led the league in back-to-back years. 383 and 02 and 392 in 03. I understood him. Touches yes. from scrimmage 430 and 02, 442 in 2003. Because nobody paid attention to receiving for running backs back then. It's absurd. He had like 40 receptions on top of Yeah, 40 in, in 02, 47, and 50, 50 receptions in, uh, in 03. But then you look at it, Matt. So 2004, he missed the year because he retired. Oh, five, he comes back and plays 12 games. Uh, oh, six, he misses with the, the viol- uh Violation of the substance abuse policy. So basically, three in three years, and and I'll go 07, 
Uh, remember, he played in one game, had that one care against the Steelers on Monday on. Night Football, got stepped on. So Rick basically, in the prime of his career, the four years in the prime of his career, he played 15 games. Yeah, didn't play much. And still put up ten thousand plus rushing yards. Those amazing receiving numbers. And if you find you can't find a better back to back seasons in a player's career than really that oh two oh three. He literally carried that Dolphins team, and his body really hurt thereafter, dude. And then to what you're talking about, the Ronnie Brown deal mm-hmm. in two thousand nine. <laughs> Ricky had eleven hundred eleven hundred rushing yards and caught fifty balls after taking all that time off. Coming back and being it's able to freaking do that. amazing, man. But okay, so let's get back to Bijan. Uh, would you disagree with me, Matt, in terms of where I've got the the running backs, the top five backs in terms of the two tiers? No, that's great, and I like the way you do it with tiers because we don't have to order. It doesn't matter exactly. It's more accurate to put sort of group players in those type of tiers. Yeah, and yeah, uh, it it would be if. Bijan would have came back or been in a different era where he would have played four years at Texas, he'd have a chance to be yeah. in that group. Because if you look at him, what he's done through the first three seasons, it's arguable that he's as good as it's ever been at Texas. It's just a different era, and we aren't going to see it. weird that. how you look at like the lineage, though. Like If you look at Chris Gilbert played in the era, like you said, freshmen weren't eligible. Yep. It was a night 72 or 73. Right around Keith Moreland coming freshmen in. Freshmen were eligible, I yeah. I'm talking about So that. Chris Gilbert played in an era where freshmen weren't eligible. Fast forward to Bijan. Bijan yeah. plays in an era where if, you, if, you, if you're a running back and you stay four years, yeah. there's something wrong with you. Well, because we saw that with Jamal when Jamal left early and, like, you know, some people were surprised. But that was the very beginning of seeing that the expectation. Like, yeah. Benson was the last guy that you could expect to like, oh, he'll probably be back for his senior year. I remember even Ricky, nobody expected, Ricky thought that he was leaving yeah. and wasn't coming back. And it was the, the young guy in Mac Brown, him loving the city of Austin and being able, having to be around his friends and finding himself a lot going on in Ricky's life that he was like, no, I really like this situation. It was actually Dan Lebetard flew to Austin and talked to him that week and Ricky hadn't decided on what he was going to do and he really told him I love this town I love this place I'm going to love this new coach I'm going to stay and do it and just talked about his love yeah. of Austin being something that tied him to this city that thereafter you can see that love for it and it, it's why players come here now it's just also you aren't going to be able to get to keep them for that extra year post Benson yeah so that's where I, I would rank Bijan I would rank him right up there with Chris Gilbert uh, Cedric Benson and himself and, and honestly if you want to use the trump card, Matt, like I said, the, the two with Bijan are the yards per carry, triple crown, like yep. we mentioned. And there's only been four unanimous All-American running backs in the history of this program. Ricky did it twice. Mm-hmm. Ricky was unanimous All-American 97. twice. Uh, Ricky did it twice. Earl, James Saxton, Bijan Robinson. That's yeah. it. I learned something new uh, when I read your article that Saxton was that type of guy back in the day because you never really – Learn you, you hear about guys from different eras, but he was even in era before the different yes. eras. He was the inception of that first Daryl K. Royal group that came through. Yep, and Saxton, you know, if he, I believe, there's going to be an older Texas fan that corrects me, but I believe he got hurt in their loss to TCU. I think on what might have been a, an alleged cheap shot. I got oh, yeah. to go back and Was that, that back in the Sammy Ball 61, day? 61, 61. Okay. Uh, he finished third in Heisman voting. That yep. year. That's damn good. And that's where when you're running back at Texas, you can be buried in the history and be that good, which is pretty crazy. Uh, let me look at that. I'm going to see if there's anything. It's like we were looking at uh, – what were we looking at? We're lo- oh, Craig and I were looking at Chris Gilbert. Oh, yeah. And we're looking at, hey, how did the Heisman voting shake out that year? And it was uh, – let me look at that. Hold on. I, I can pull that up real quick. Because Jim Plunkett won it that year at Stanford. Uh, and number two, Joe Theismann was second. <laughs> the guy that changed the spell. Oh, I'm sorry. No, we weren't talking about Chris Gilbert. We are talking about Steve Wooster because we are talking about the other, like the Texas wishbone running backs. Like Steve mm-hmm. Wooster was at the, you know, kind of the golden age of Texas football. He was the lead dog in the wishbone. Uh, you want to take a stab, Matt, who was fourth that, their third that year between Joe Theismann at two and Steve Wooster at four? Heisman voting in 1970. Oh, I'll give you a hint. Tomorrow starts the early signing period. We'll be talking a lot about his grandson tomorrow. Ah, you're going to have to just tell me. I can't. Archie Manning. Oh, wow. Okay, Archie. Way to go. That's awesome. Yeah, Archie Manning. And then let me look at uh, 1961 real quick, see if uh, anything pops up there of of note. 
we'll get to some Washington stuff. We'll do a little bit of a, as much of a bowl preview as we can. Um, cause I know Matt, you've been, again, you've been crunching some numbers on Washington, but I just want to see 1961. Oh, that was the Ernie Davis at Syracuse. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Uh, James, I can't believe James I didn't Saxon think of Archie. Third. Bob Ferguson at Ohio state was three. Uh, well, Bob Ferguson just doesn't sound like he should be a Heisman finalist. Well, you talk about Craig way, our, our resident Rams fan. How about Roman Gabriel finishing ninth and Merlin Olsen finishing 10th? <laughs> Merlin Olsen. If you've never seen a picture of Merlin Olsen, y'all need to just Google Merlin Olsen. He looks exactly the way you think Merlin Olsen would look. He, he looks like, if you saw him in the street, be like, you look like a Merlin. Yeah, 100%. I think about Farley and Tommy Boy when he's in the, the cafes, like, you look like a Helen. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Helen? Tommy likey. Yeah. All right, Matt, let's talk about Washington. Uh, Michael Penix is going to play in this game, and you, you've talked about Washington as kind of one of those throwback Big 12 teams, man. They don't mm-hmm. they don't stop a ton of people, but it doesn't really matter because they can move the football. Yeah, no, they can score with the best of them. And like you said, they can't stop people. PFF has them at 115th in coverage, 108th in tackling, and 109th in run defense. When so you, guys... you can't cover, you can't tackle, and you can't stop the run. Yeah, but when you've got guys like Romo Dunes and – Jake McMillan at wide receiver and Penix, like you said, you know, he's a guy that came over from Indiana and we talked a little about him in the last Longhorn Blitz. Just he had that catastrophic leg injury, didn't even know if he'd be able to play. So seeing him be able to do this this season has yeah. been really cool. And then his familiarity with the offense, his coordinators, and then being able to get the guys like McMillan, I know, is a heralded recruit and O'Dunes has been a guy that's been just so hyper productive. And when you look at them overall, like their receivers, a lot of the time, you know, I've always pointed out certain guys beat man coverage. So Certain guys beat zone coverage, and like you know, we could really see deficiencies, say in Alabama's receivers, because they were guys that can't win in man. And if your team like Texas has some guys that might be able to man up, you could really take advantage of players. And that's one thing Texas can't do against Washington, because Roma Dunes against man, two point nine seven yards per route run. If you look at him against zone, 2.83, both elite. If you're over two yards per route run, that's going to be well above average. If you're up around three, you're in the elite territory. A guy like, say, Worthy his freshman year versus man coverage was one of the best in the country around four. And if you look at Jake McMillan, him versus man, 3.06 yards per route run against zone, still at 2.35. And you look at them overall, like against man coverage, Got a guy like McMillan averaging 17.9 yards per reception. Romo Dunes, 26.5 yards per reception. So no matter what you throw to them, they've been man beaters all year, and they can also – they got that football IQ to sit down and find the open pockets of a zone. And with Texas's pass defense being the one weakness, you know, sometimes – it becomes a bit of a pass funnel when you look at some of these teams that have elite, say, D-lines, and you don't even want to challenge against an elite D-line, so then it actually causes teams to throw the ball even more. And if that happens to be your weakness, a lot of smart teams are going to be like, what's the point of even trying to be balanced in these scenarios if we're banging our heads against right. the wall? And your team like Washington that's been like, man, we even Penix, he scrambles just to be able to throw because they went in the scramble drill after the word. So matchup-wise, if we want video game numbers in a high-scoring game, this one sets up for it, and it'll set it up for being an old-school Big 12 game. Yeah, I uh, we were talking about it before we started recording. Man, I, when Kalen DeBoer was at Indiana, yeah. I really liked what they were doing on offense. And I felt like before you know he took the Fresno State job uh, leaving Indiana – but I felt like when Tom Herman was moving on from Tim Beck and was going to hire Mike Yersich, mm-hmm. I felt like Tom Herman should go after Kalen DeBoer. Like yeah. that's because just looking, you know, he's DeBoer describes his offense as a pro style spread. Yeah. Or Tom Herman had that pro spread. I just felt like, but what DeBoer does, he mixes formations a lot. He mixes personnel groupings mm-hmm. more than Tom Herman did. Utilize motion more than Tom Herman did. I just felt like, man. He could take that Tom Herman pro spread and really take it to the next level if you're looking for a guy to kind of build on what you've already started. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just kind of here it is. You take it and and make it what we think it can be, kind of maximize it. I really like Kalen DeBoer, but like I said, he ended up getting the Fresno State job and now he's at Washington. So brilliant offensive mind, really like his offenses. Uh, Like you said, Matt, they're not – not messing around with trying to run the football. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna chunk it and try to get their yards a year. Even like Penix, uh, I like how you describe them as scrambling, scrambling, keeping the, using his legs, extending the play to throw the ball, not necessarily looking to to pull it down and run it. 
Yeah, no, he'll just move the pocket and he'll avoid the pass rush. He's athletic enough. And I also think post-injury probably also That's understands too, yeah. what's going on with his own body. And I don't even know if – I don't want to imply that there's anything psychological there because it's so successful. Like, they are that good throwing the ball. But, like, if you look at uh, CFB graphs, uh, Stats of War on Twitter always has great different advanced analytics ma- matchups. And I'll just run down some of the numbers for Washington on EPA – Overall, their margin is fifth in the country because they got the number one EPA offense in the country, 117th EPA defense in the country. You look at EPA per pass, their defense, 124th. EPA per rush defense, 97th. If you look at just points per echo, which is on drives that get inside the 40-yard line, how many points per drive do you give up? Well, Texas Texas gets 4.57 points each time they get inside the opponent's 40, which is 23rd in the country. Washington allows 4.58. It's almost identical, 108 in the country. Versus the pass, if you look in defensive success rate, they're overall, they're 110. They're 98th versus the pass, 106th. Versus the rush, if you look at net points per drive, their margin, 10th in the country, really good because they have the number one offense points per drive, 3.74, but their defense, 100th, 2.64. So, like, across the board, they're one of the worst defenses basically in every metric, and then they're one of the best offenses because they're EPA per pass offense, second in the country. Rush, third in the country. Points per drive inside the 40, ninth in the country. Now, their percent of first downs on first or second, that's the only weakness they have on offense. They actually need third down. Texas is the opposite. Texas is so explosive that on offense, Texas is second in the country. But the only strength of the Washington defense is actually making teams get to third down. It's just they cannot stop teams on third (laughs) down. So it'll be interesting to see how it happens. Texas has that advantage in the explosivity, but – you know, across the board, Washington, just it's exactly what you want. If you're going to be just turning on the TV, you want to see fun football and a lot of scoring, you'll get it. Yeah, I was looking at Penix's rushing numbers, Matt, mm-hmm. uh, in 2019 with, with Kalen DeBoer. Uh, at 22 carries for 119 yards and two touchdowns, 5.4 per carry. And, again, when you're talking about college quarterback rushing numbers, sacks do factor in. This year, because he's played a full a full season, he's 32 for 86. He does have four rushing touchdowns, but like you said, he's not – they're not going to do – it's not going to be the Tom Herman, Sam Ellinger offense. Yeah, no design run games. He may scramble for some yards, but he's going to be looking to throw. And because their pass game is so explosive, it only makes sense for them to do that. And if you look at just rush rate over expected, they're actually fourth in the country if you look at uh, the pass ratio. They actually pass the ball 13.5% of the time more than you would expect. So on even certain downs that are downs when you should run, they're still throwing the ball. So it's one thing you can count on is hopefully Texas's pass rush can get home. Yeah, um, I think the I've said this a couple times this year. When you look at Texas, how to attack Washington from a personnel standpoint, the Marvin Overshone being out kind of clears things up for you a little bit because I think you've really got – because we know Tucker Dorsey's going to play with as much as they throw the ball, as much as they operate in space. He's he, that he's in, in there situationally for that. Mm-hmm. But I think on kind of a down-to-down basis, man, I still think, you know, does it benefit you more to have a guy like a true linebacker like David Benda on the field more? Or does it benefit you more to have a guy like Mo Blackwell? Yeah. Just kind of that versatile chess piece. Yeah, I, I from what we saw from Benda against, like, say, against Tech, I remember seeing some holes in the game in coverage. Therefore, against Washington, it may not be as good of a mismatch, you know, that way. But yeah. overall for the season, I really haven't seen enough of both of them to decide which one I would like to see because I think they're just going to be put in coverage a ton. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Mo Blackwell fan. I yeah, just I think, think Blackwell I, could do it. I think that guy, I think when we get through the bowl season, and get to spring ball. I think Mo Blackwell's going to be one of the guys we're talking about on this defense. It's really taking another step. But when we talk about bowl opt-outs, Matt, health, I mean, that's secondary. All, it's all hands on deck. I mean, Jamison, Cook, mm-hmm. uh, Jaron Thompson, Jaday Barron, Ryan Watts, everybody's, everybody's rocking around to go. So at least you'll be at full strength uh, from the standpoint of your, uh, your secondary. And, I mean, your edge guys, I mean, specifically Barron Sorrell, uh, your edge guys aren't – they're not a liability. We talked about it before. They're not a liability now. Mm-hmm. They've gone through the year. They're not a liability. And, I mean, you can still win on the interior defensively. 
And uh, I just pulled up Blackwell's numbers just because he he had been in very limited amount of pass snaps. But when we looked at uh, Jade Barron last year in a limited amount of coverage snaps, he was very elite. And it was something that you could say maybe would be predictive. And it hasn't been much. It's been only 18 coverage snaps. But in the five in which he was in man coverage, didn't give up anything. And then in zone coverage, it was just a passer rating of 87 allowed. So, I mean, he was above average in the limited time on the field. And that's when bowl game scenarios like this is where a player like that that is just hasn't been able to get onto the field as much is going to have snaps available to him and if you can keep that up that'd be real good like you're the one that i don't know why i just thought about this but like the one that jumped out to me you remember when uh they put chris Adamora in mm-hmm. at the uh at the nickel position what did what did they call? What did Texas call it under Todd Orlando? I forgot what was it was. It I star? remember Rod laughing at it. Yeah, I don't remember what it. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. Somebody will remind me on Twitter or something when they hear this. But like, you remember, like Brandon Jones was hurt and couldn't yeah. play, and then like Chris Adamore plays this great game. We're like, dude, Chris Adamore looks like a dude, and that was that was like the peak of Chris Adamore's time at Texas. Yep. And- <laughs> So, so what I'm saying is, like, get bowl, that bowl game. It's 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 not spring game superstars, but that bowl game status yeah. it sticks with you because it's an island game. But then you get scenarios like you remember, like how good Joseph Osai was against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Oh yeah, and that was just like okay, yeah, he's, it exploded. He's really good. Well, I remember Bijan's <laughs> really coming out part because everybody knew his freshman year he was great. But then seeing what he did to Colorado, just it was like pinging. I wish he would have played that second half. He could have put up like 400 yards, I mean, especially after. After he went nine for one seventy two against K State, yeah, and like you were under like K State, they had COVID opt outs and COVID issues, and you could tell me Chris Klein is a hell of a coach as he's proved. But that was a K State team that looked, dude, they're just ready to get this year over with. And then yes. Colorado, man, it had come a long way from that team that cost Rod Babers a Big Twelve championship. <laughs> like I talk about, man, Sam Noyer. No disrespect again, if Sam Noyer's family's listening to this, dude, maybe the worst FBS quarterback I've seen. Yeah, that was pretty bad. This, man. He was he was not good at all. It's pretty it's pretty dang rough. Um, I thought there was somebody else I've seen since Sam Noyer. Oh, I said that about Will Howard last year. Yeah, well, Will Howard's developed rather quickly. It's been amazing well, to see. Like when I don't know if you listened to some of the numbers I pulled because uh, how impressive Quinn when you look at some of the PFF ratings yeah. on big time throws and then the very few turnover worthy plays. The guy that was ahead of him, the only guy in the Big Twelve, was Will Howard. Yeah, but he, like Will Howard, that stopped doing that square peg round hole thing. Yeah, very and much. Just Colin, Colin Klein called a hell of a season, whether it was this Martinez. Or, or Howard uh, at uh, quarterback once they made that offensive coordinator change. Real quick, Matt, on the running back situation, uh, what you've seen. What, what I want to say this. Maybe the most underrated thing on this offense we haven't talked enough about. Remember we spent all offseason, all spring and summer talking about, dude, if Keelan Robinson can just pose a threat catching the football, like if he could just catch a football. Yes. Forget what he does after the catch. And, dude, he's been a really good receiver this year. Oh, yeah. On the limited basis, he's by far the most productive receiver Texas had. I mean, he his yards per route run, I believe, got over 3.35 last time I checked. Yeah. I'll pull it up. But, yeah, when you go from last year literally being at the point that both times that he had, was targeted <laughs> downfield were both drops to this year being that he's the most productive on a per play basis. It's been remarkable. And then not to mention that dude has maybe been our best weapon on pump block team. Yeah. He's a like literally shot out of a cannon. You've seen him do really good on the return game. Like, He's the type of guy that you fill out your roster with a ton of Keelan Robinsons, and you be he got himself to a point that next year he could be a really top tier running back just because he's that multi purpose use. I mean, he's a poor man's almost like an Eric Metcalf if he can yeah. catch the ball out of the backfield. That that's what I'd say about the Texas offense, Matt, in this bowl game. You're gonna get a really good idea of what the twenty twenty three offense is gonna look like because you don't have Bijan. He, Rojo hasn't said anything, but we're not expecting Rojo to play this bowl game. Uh, I mean, Jordan Whittington hadn't announced anything, but I, I've heard there was a, there's a very real chance that he comes back. Yeah, you know, like Jatavian Sanders, and, and you're going to have some of those guys back. Uh, Xavier Worthy's coming back. This is going to be a really good test for what the 23 offense is going to look like. That's why when we talk about what can you take from bowl games and project it forward, mm-hmm. just getting an idea of what the 2023 offense is going to look like from a personnel standpoint. Bowl game is going to give you a great idea of that. 
For sure. And there's a lot to be excited about because not only do you have the potential of some of those veterans, but then the young players and then to get another year uh, from the young offensive line to be able to develop. Because the main issue, like the only time Texas had trouble offensively was when their protection broke down. If the protection wasn't breaking down, Texas was able to move the ball very easily all season long. And like when you look at allowed pressure via PFF, there was really only one hole throughout the season, and it's one that would be expected, your right guard. If you allowed pressures, they put 11% were on Quinn, 13% on left tackle, 13% on left guard, 13% on center, 32% was on right guard, and it was like 11% where 13 yeah. was on right tackle to where and it's only understandable you had a very young player playing there in a situation where you knew how Flood liked to set up his line, yeah. wanted to have the young spots be separated from one another, and you could only expect there to be uh, between the two the weakness possibly there, and it's nothing negative against Hudson or that situation. It's just what he was put into, and he was better than everybody else yeah. on campus, which spoke volumes about the rest of the offensive line. Before we get out of here, am I out of pocket for saying I'm really not that concerned whether Texas wins this game or not? No, I guess it's a, just a bowl game when you uh, Tom Herman ruined my it. Tom Herman ruined my outlook on bowl games. <laughs> yeah, undefeated. I'm sorry, man. I'm I'm jaded in that way, dude. I'm like, eh, okay, it's a bowl game. It's great, but yeah. It's just... Yeah, I mean, once Texas starts getting back to those prestigious bowls, because I mean. It, the Sugar Bowl, in theory, didn't mean much because it wasn't in a playoff, and we're about to get to the point where if you're in a bowl like the Sugar Bowl, that will be a playoff game because yeah. you're going to have 12 after With next year. So sure. that's where we're almost going to get past this era, so it'll make it easier, but it's going to continue if your season ends up. It's always been that way. It was that way back whenever it was Colt and Alamo Bowl. It was, oh, yeah, it's nice to beat Iowa, but who gives a damn? It's not the Rose Bowl. At least when you go to the SEC, at least you'd have a chance for, like, the Citrus Bowl or something, something yeah. different. So, yeah, yeah, it will be different. You're right. The alignment, it, you won't be using, calling Mac Brown the holiday, the Culligan, the Culligan man, man or whatever. It's not. It's Pacific, not. You won't be a punchline of Hank Hill, the Pacific Life Holiday Bowl. It's not Texas's fault that the best, the, the bowl that gets to pick the Big 12, the next best available Big 12 team mm-hmm. after the CFP and the New Year's Six is the Alamo Bowl. That's not Texas's fault. No. Blame the Big 12. Yep. It's a con- and good riddance, and hopefully we're gone as fast as possible. Yeah, I'm ready to get out of the Big 12. And, and Keelan finished something. at 3.51 yards per route run. Uh, nobody else. I think Billingsley was at 2.53, Brennan Thompson at 2.13, and then you have guys like Jatavian at 1.9 and Worthy at 1.93. So just speaks volumes to how productive Keelan was in his 53 routes run. Shows you uh, 51. Just kind of shows you where the tight end position is that you got nothing out of Jaleel Billingsley and it didn't matter. Yeah. On person that basis, you got a lot. But, yeah, he was only out catches, there for how many, real quick, seven, how many, 15 routes. How many catches does J.C. Sanders have? He finished with 49. If he catches two balls in the Alamo Bowl, he'll break David Thomas's uh, school record. Well, he'll do that. I guarantee it. I hope he does that. You can go I, around and make yourself some bar bets right now. Be like, ah, how much you want to bet? Jatavian Sanders breaks DT's record. It's your Alamo Bowl props, courtesy of, uh, courtesy of Matt Butler. All right. Alamo Bowl, December 29th in San Antonio. I'll be down there. Matt will be watching in the day after. Tentatively, we plan on recording a, uh, a Longhorn Blitz podcast with everybody in studio. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049 and 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B each and every weekday with Mike Hards on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. Shameless you know, plug. <laughs> thank you, Matt. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt. Get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Horns 24-7. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button to get every episode of the Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.